Welcome to The Rock Church and World Outreach Center. We pray that this message will strengthen and encourage you. Now, here's a message from Pastor Deborah Cobray. Amen. If you've got your Bibles tonight, I'd like you to turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians. I know I've got glasses here somewhere. They're multiplying. They're breeding. In 2 Corinthians, let me get there. Tonight I want to look at something that I began at Saints at the Conference for Women, but I didn't have time nor the opportunity to really develop. But tonight I want to speak to you about thoughts, our thought life. I want to look at why it's so important, and I want to look at the demonic realm and the power of darkness and how much influence can they have in our thoughts and in our lives. And so I'm asking you to put on and give me your attention tonight because I believe this is an important message. I believe that we are living in a time that is unprecedented in history. And in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Timothy writes to Paul 2,000 years ago, and he says, now in the last days, the Spirit says expressly that there will be difficult times and that there will be doctrines of demons. The word doctrine means teaching. That people will have itching ears, wanting to gather to themselves teachers that will placate their flesh and their desires that are not God desires. And so tonight, I want to look at the thought life that, we, that you and I have and what God is saying about it. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, this is a very common scripture. This is probably not new for any of us. So some of you could preach this better than I could, but this is what the Lord put on my heart for tonight, so this is where we're going. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 5, Paul writes to the church and he says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. That word carnal means natural, corporeal, fleshly. The natural realm, that which we can see, the visible, the tangible, that which has measurement. The carnal. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into the captivity of the obedience of Christ. So Paul tells us that though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not natural, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Jesus talked a lot about the demonic. He talked a lot about the spirit of darkness, the prince of the power of the air, Satan. And we can either dismiss him or we can give him too much attention. But God doesn't want either. He wants us to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves and understand the kingdom of God and understand the kingdom of darkness because we are to know and not be ignorant of his devices. Now God has never told us to fear darkness, never. But he has told us to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. 
So you and I have been commissioned by the Holy Spirit as the body of Christ to walk on this earth as his people. He's the head, we're the body. And the battlefield and the weapons and the warfare that you and I are gonna experience because there is, there is tension on this planet. Jesus said in the world you're gonna have tribulation, you're gonna have trouble. Ellipsis, you are going to have a lot of times where you're going to be pressed and it's going to be difficult and it's going to be hard. All those who live righteously will have and suffer godly persecution. We have an enemy. You have an enemy of your soul. His name is Satan. Jesus called him the prince of the power of the air. He called him the old serpent. He called him the devil. He called him the dragon. He's known as Lucifer who was fallen. He was the bright and the morning star and he fell. You can read about that in Ezekiel chapter 28 and you can read about it in Isaiah chapter 14. But before this planet was ever created and you and I were ever brought forth, Satan had already fallen and he'd already established his own independent kingdom apart from God. And that's what Isaiah tells us. He said, I will be like the Most High apart from the Most High. Satan wanted what God had apart from God. Therefore, his independence, his rebellion is called pride. And that's the definition of pride is independent, selfish desires. When God created Adam and Eve, he created them in his likeness. He brought them forth and he put them in the garden. He said, subdue, have dominion, be fruitful and multiply. He blessed them and he gave them everything they would ever need to rule the earth as he rules the heavens. We know that the tempter came and the tempter tempted Eve and he said to her, hath God said, and he began to divide her with temptation from what God had spoken about not eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he began to speak to her and she listened to him. And those words, that deceitfulness, that lying spirit began to tempt her desire to be more like God apart from God because she already was like God, made in his image. So Satan's a liar. There's no truth in him. Jesus said he's the father of lies, he's the murderer, and there is no good in him. He is the epitome of evil. His kingdom is going to be completely destroyed. He's on a leash with God. God knows exactly what he's doing. Satan is not greater than you or I. We don't need to fear him, but we need to understand how he operates so we are not deceived and we're not foolish in these last days. So this is not to scare you, because God's not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Jesus was made manifest so that he would destroy the works of the devil. He came to destroy his kingdom. He took the keys of death and hell, and he has bound the strong man, and now you and I as the body of Christ are actually enforcing his victory on the earth. That's why we're here. We are not wrestling against flesh and blood, against people, but against powers and principalities and rulers in high places. The kingdom of darkness is at war against the saints. And this all begins in the realm of the mind, the thought life. That is why Paul said, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. 
for the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly and natural, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. You see, Satan is against the knowledge of God. He comes in as a deceiver. He comes in as, a, as an angel of light. He doesn't come in in a red suit and horns and a tail. He comes in looking all good and all sophisticated. He speaks to the wisdom of this world. This world is under his control. This world is in a fallen state. And that is why you can listen to the news and you can watch and you can see things and your spirit grieves and gets heavy. Does anybody do that? Because it's so obvious. And he's taken the foolish things of this world, you and I, to confound the wisdom of this world to make it nothing. The education, the media, the entertainment, the political systems, all the religious systems of this world are under the sway of the wicked one, and there is no good in him. It's in, he's incapable of repentance. He is incapable of good. He is the father of lies, and evil and iniquity was found in him. Now, the definition of evil is the perversion of that which is good. Because when God created the heavens and the earth, after he had finished man on the sixth day, he looked and he said that everything was good. Good is a God word. God is, what is good? It is benefit and blessing. It is who God is. Like God is agape love. God is good. Jesus said, don't call me good. When one man said to him, good master, he said, don't call me good. There's none good but God. So if there's none good but God, and if God is good, Therefore, that tells me that his good is his will, his way. Satan wanted to do Satan's will, Satan's way, and evil was found in him, and evil is a perversion of that which is good. Good existed before evil. Therefore, good is greater than evil. Evil cannot exist apart from good. Satan is a created being. He is not omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. He cannot read your mind, but he can do some things to us. And he begins and he starts in the thought life. Now, why are our thoughts so important? Our thought life. Because Paul is clearly talking about imaginations, mind, thoughts, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Jesus Christ. So why are thoughts so important? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Even if you didn't, I'm going to ask it for you. Because before there's a deed and before there is an event or an action, there is first a thought. The Godhead worked this way, and it works this way. You see it in Genesis chapter 1. That in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Holy Spirit hovered over the deep, waiting, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. God said, God said, God said, God said. So 
We see the, the Trinity in Genesis chapter 1 working. First the thought, the Father conceives the plan. Then we see the command, the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, the Word was God. All things were made by him and for him and through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. So the Father conceives the plan, the thought. And the Word commands the Father's thought. First the thought, then the command, and the Spirit waiting, hovering, then began to work on the command and create that which God had spoken. Do you see that? So first the, first the thought, then the deed. The Father conceives the plan, the Word commands the plan, the Spirit creates the plan, the Trinity, the Godhead, each one in their own place, three in one. Are you with me? I know I'm making this simplistic, but that's good to make it simple because you and I are not brilliant people apart from the Holy Spirit. And these are spiritual things that we have to understand with spiritual hearts. And so God says that our thoughts first happen inside of us in our heart, and from the thought comes the word and the deed. That's why Jesus said, out of the heart comes forth evil things. He said that it's the heart that is exceedingly wicked. Jeremiah says, the heart of man, who can know it? Only God can read the heart. Satan cannot read our hearts, but he can observe our situations and how we are reacting and what's coming out of our mouth and what we're doing. God reads our hearts and tests our hearts. And so thoughts are so important because as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. What you have in your heart, what you believe in your heart, in your thought realm, you will have in your life. That is why it is imperative that my thought life and my thoughts, because that's who I am, come under submission and come under the divine guidance of the word of God so that I know how God thinks and what God wants me to do. So my thought life is everything as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So God conceives a plan the word commands the plan. The spirit creates the plan. Hebrews 10, 16 says, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds, I will write them. So now we get born of the spirit of God. God connects us back to him. We're joined back to the father. Jesus Christ, first and foremost, buys us back, redeems us, right? He pays the price. We are washed in the blood of the lamb. We are now new creations. And so he does this through identification. He became a man. That's why there's a man seated at the right hand of the father. He's so identified with you that he's still a man. You look like him. He looks like you. He gets us. He understands us. He's touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He's been in a human body. He has been limited. He limited himself in the likeness of sinful flesh. He's walked in it. He's gone through every experience that the human heart will ever encounter. And he has successfully succeeded. He's paid the price. And he shows us now how we can have victory. 
So first and foremost, you were bought back, redeemed by his blood through identification. Then he joined you back. He brought you back to the Father because sin had separated us. That's why you need to be born again. Are you with me? So he brought us back after he bought us back, and he joined us and reconciled us to the Father. How did he do that? By becoming the substitution. Sin separated me from the Father. When Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they sinned, they died spiritually, and they were cut off and separated. That which was flowing from God to them, ruling the earth as he ruled the heavens, that was now cut off. Adam and Eve knew something was desperately wrong. They knew they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together. They hid and they covered themselves. God walks in the garden knowing exactly what's happened, and he says, where are you? And Adam says, I was afraid, and so I hid because I was naked. And God says, who told you you were naked? Now Adam and Eve are now drawing not from God what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil, but now they are eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They are now limited to their human resource, their own ability and their own function, and they handed the title deed of earth and the dominion of earth over to Satan. He usurped authority and he became the God of this world, right? So Jesus comes and he brings us back. He reconciles us back to the Father by being the substitution, the propitiation, the mercy seat. The wrath of God fell on Jesus. He paid the price so you and I are no longer appointed to the wrath of God. You are free in Jesus Christ and you are holy and you are sanctified and you are justified and you are declared righteous. When the Father looks at me, he does not see the stain of sin. He sees the blood of Jesus. I am in Christ. He is in me and I am a saint of God, a holy one, the elect of God, the chosen of God. And God has taken me out of darkness, out of that dark kingdom of slavery, and he's put me and deposited me into the kingdom of his dear son. And when my life really began to change in the kingdom of God is when I became king-minded and kingdom-minded. And I realize I'm in this world, but I'm not of it. I don't have to look for the presence of God. I am in the presence of God. I am in him. He is in me. There is no separation. New Christians are, are yearning for the presence of God, and there's nothing wrong with that. Music brings us into his presence. But there'll come a time when you will understand that you don't have to yearn for it because you walk in it. You live in it. It is who you are. It's what you do. You are a child of God. You are a saint of God. You are part of the body of Christ. And you are an eternal being having a physical experience. That's who we are. The penny drops. The light shines. And all of a sudden, life begins to change. What was impossible before now becomes extremely feasible, and why not? Because I'm no longer looking at the carnal, the visible, the temporal, 
the tangible, but now my eyes are beginning to see the invisible realm of the kingdom of God, to see the king, to see the eternal, and the impossible. And God says, this is where I need my church to live, and it begins with our thoughts. Because if he, the enemy, can keep me depressed, in darkness, defeated, not understanding who I am and who he is in me, then I will live out my life, but I'll never function in the full authority, the full prosperity, and the blessing of the kingdom of God that God has for my life. God has commissioned us. He has ordained us. He has chosen us, not to fail, but to succeed. Why? Because we are members of his body. Now let me show you this in a very familiar scripture. So he says, I'll write my word in their hearts, and I'll write my word in their minds. Philippians chapter 2.13, it says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. See, you're not alone now. Before you were on your own. You were under the power of darkness. So was I. I didn't know what to do, and I didn't understand what was going on. I just know that I was beat up, and I was not succeeding in life, and I knew something was desperately wrong because, you see, on the inside of you and on the inside of me, there is the God-spoken instinct of what he called us to, which is to be his children, to be fruitful, to multiply, subdue, and have dominion of the earth. And when you are operating in that, you're not happy. Something's off in your life. You know you're better than that. You know there's more. Did you ever think as a child, I know I have to be adopted from this family? Did you ever think that? I did. I thought, I can't be a part. I can't really be in this family. I'm so different. There was something in me. Something in me. An instinct, a God instinct that said you're a daughter. Your nobility, you're blessed. I've created you for purpose. I have a plan for your life. See, there's that, that deep calls to deepen our spirit by the Holy Spirit. And so God says, you're more than you think you are. There is no separation between us and Jesus. In Ephesians 1, 21 through 23, I just want to read this to you, and then we're going to get into the meat of what we're going to. Talking about no separation. Jim taught on it last week. The biggest lie the enemy has spawned in the church is that God is up there somewhere and we're down here and we hope he can hear us. That is deception. That is a lie. Because it says here in Ephesians 1, in the Message Bible, I think we've got it up there. It says, Jesus, and speaking of Jesus, in charge of running the universe. It's talking about his victory. Everything from galaxies to governments. No name, no power exempt from his rule, speaking of Jesus. And not just for the time being, but forever. He is in charge of it all, has the final word on everything, 
at the center of all this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world, and that word peripheral means on the outside. If you can imagine a circle, peripheral is on the out edges, the outside edges. The church is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts by which he fills everything with his presence. You see, you are the most powerful beings and the most important beings on this planet because you are the body of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Now, if all things were made by him, visible and invisible, if he holds all things together by the word of his power, if he is the king of all kings, and if he is your head, then what can the enemy do to you? That's why Paul said, all things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose. That's why he said, he who did not spare his own son, will he not through him freely give you all things? You see, if the enemy can blind you to who you are and the blessings of God, then your thoughts will never produce the God thoughts that he needs to be his body on the earth, to fill the earth with the knowledge of him and to do the works of God in our generation. That's why God needs my thoughts to change. Because I can't continue with the old Debbie Cobray thoughts, the old Debbie Larson thoughts before I married Jim. Defeated, frightened, intimidated. I could never have done the things that I've done, Jim and I've done in our lifetime without knowing this. That's why he deals with our thoughts. So what has Satan and his demons got to do with my thoughts? Can Satan read my mind? No, he cannot read your mind. God can, but he can't. But what he can do is he can, number one, cast doubt on the word of God. He did it with Eve. He did it with Jesus in the temptation, Matthew chapter 4, when he came to Jesus after he'd fasted, and you know the three temptations, and he begins with, hath God said. He will divide us from the integrity and the power of what God says. And Jesus looked at him and said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So Jesus answers back with the sword, the word. All right, what else can he do? Can he drop thoughts into my mind? Absolutely. John Wimber, who started the vineyard, years ago, and he's passed, and he's home in heaven now, said that our minds are landing fields for demonic thoughts. Have you ever had a thought, just a random, horrific thought, and you've gone, oh, where did that come from? So horrendous and horrible that it, you cringe. Am I the only one that's ever had that happen to them? Satan can influence our minds. And God shows us in the word of God, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asked Peter, who do men say that I am? And in Matthew 16, 7, Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. 
for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So did God speak to Peter and reveal who Jesus was? Yes. Six verses later, Jesus is telling Peter he's going to Jerusalem to be crucified. And Peter takes Jesus in Matthew 16, 22, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me, for you're not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. One moment God's speaking to him, the next moment Satan's speaking to him, and Jesus rebukes the, the, the Satan, does he not? Let's go to Judas. Judas Iscariot, before he betrayed Jesus, John 13, 2, and supper being ended, the devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus looks at him and says, go and do what you have to do and do it quickly. The devil put it into his heart. Out of the abundance of the heart are thoughts and intents. Can he put thoughts in our hearts? Yes, he can. How about Ananias and Sapphira? Acts chapter 5, verse 3. But Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? So that tells me that God can speak to me, but so can the devil. So can his demons. My mind is a landing field for voices and choices. And if you don't know what is God and what isn't, then you are susceptible to a lie and deception. And instead of being transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may be able to prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God to begin to think the God thoughts and do the God deeds that he wants us to do on the earth, you will be deceived. And it says expressly that in the last days, there will be perilous times, hard to deal with and hard to bear. The Spirit says that there will be doctrines of demons. There are going to be things on this earth that are going to be so convincing that you're going to, if you don't know who is speaking and if you don't know God's nature and his word, we could be misled. Because first the thought, then the command, and then the deed. Are you with me? Okay, so I think I've proven to you that he can cast doubt on the word. He can drop thoughts in my mind. Can he steal the word of God out of my, out of my mind, out of my heart? Absolutely he can. That's what Jesus said. Remember the parable of the sower? He said, if you don't understand this parable, you're never going to understand the kingdom. It's, it's the entrance into all understanding of the kingdom of God. He says, the sower sows the word. Remember? There were four soils, there was hard soil, there was rocky soil, there was weeds, thorns, and thistle soil, and there was good soil, right? So he says that the sower is the preacher, or Jesus, and the seed is the word of God. And he says in Mark 4, 15, and these are the ones by the wayside when the word is sown, speaking of the hard soil, 
Satan comes immediately and takes away the word which was sown in their hearts. He comes immediately to steal the word right out of your mind. I'll give you an example right now. Some of you are not listening. You're here, but you're not here. Your mind is capable of thinking about tomorrow. It's capable of thinking, what am I going to do? What's my schedule? Lunches, kids, your mind is busy. Maybe some of you are on your phones texting. You are able to be somewhere, but your thoughts can go in different directions. Are you with me? So when the word of God is being sown, the hard soil is so distracted that Satan can come immediately and steal that word right out of your heart. So it never even has a chance to get into your life and change you. That is why Jesus said, be careful what you hear and what you listen to. The measure of thought and study that you bring to the word of God will be the measure of virtue and power that you will experience in your life. So we can be absolutely brain dead in church or we can lean in, open our Bibles, say, Holy Spirit, teach me something tonight and have a transformation so that we can grow and become what we're supposed to be, his people on the earth, thinking his thoughts and doing his deeds. So, having said that now, how do I fight this battle? Because the battle's in the mind. We're going to fight the battle more in our minds than we are anything else. Doesn't mean we won't have persecution and there won't be circumstances and trouble coming our way. But the battle is in your thought life. So, let's go to Romans 12. One, familiar passages of scripture. But God says through the Apostle Paul to the church, I beseech you, I beg you, therefore, now he's just given them the dispensation and he's given them the plan of salvation, righteousness, and everything that Jesus has done. He says, because of all of this, I am begging you that you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It's what we should do. Reasonable services. This is what every day God says, I need you to do two things. Two things have been restored to you. Relationship with me, the Godhead, and rulership. Now you have the power and the ability as the body of Christ, and the you have the mind of Christ and the Holy Spirit to now rule and bring the kingdom of God into this realm, into the corporeal, natural world. So you've been restored with relationship with God, and you've been restored to rulership on this planet. But to do that, God says, I need you to do two things. I need you to, number one, present these bodies every day as a living sacrifice. It's your reasonable service. Now we're talking about our thought life. What does that mean? What does that mean? It means that I have to understand that I'm bought with a price. I think I have this, this scripture up there, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20. For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I have to understand now that I'm no longer my own. 
I don't belong to me anymore. My life and this body is no longer exclusively mine. It now belongs exclusively to Jesus Christ because he has purchased me and he has bought me. And God says you have to get that in your thought life, that this body that you go to bed with, that you wake up with, that you do life with, do you ever separate from your body? No. If you do, you're not going to be here. You go to bed with yourself, do you not? You wake up with yourself, you bring self wherever you go, do you not? And God says, that body, that temple, that home is mine. And I need you to get the thought revelation that you are no longer your own. When I married Jim Cobray 41 years ago, and I became Mrs. Jim Cobray. Before, the day before I married him, I was Debbie Larson. But the day I married him and I said those vows and he put a ring on my finger, I became Debbie Cobray. I took his name, he became my head, my husband, he was my provider, he was my protector, and my body now belonged to him and his body belonged to me. We no longer did life alone, we did life together. Well, as the marriage is a picture of Jesus and the church, it's the same thing with us in the spirit. This temple that I walk around in isn't mine. It's been purchased. And God says he wants it every day as a daily living sacrifice. It's not rocket science, but every day I have to consciously say, Father, I'm reporting for duty. I'm up. Here I am. Help me to be the believer, the wife that you want me to be to my husband, the mother that you want me to be to my children, the grandmother you want me to be to my grandchildren, the pastor that you need me to be to the church. Lord, may this body be alive unto you and dead to sin and the old nature. That's the first thing. That's the first thing he says. Remember how do we fight this battle? I have to fight it by presenting my body. Here's what he says. All things are lawful, but I can't be brought under the power of anything but the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6.12 says, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I'll not be brought under the power of anything. So in your thought life, in your every day with Jesus, to be the saint of God, to be the child of God he needs you to be, first the body. Ask yourself, what's bringing me under its power? There's all kinds of things. For me, it's food. Oh my gosh, I get so frustrated. Has anybody tried to lose weight? I know how to gain weight, but I'm not doing very good at losing weight. And now that I'm almost 70, it's like, you got to be kidding me. What's happened to me? You see, something has brought me under its power. So how am I going to get out from underneath the power of food? Well, good luck with that. I'm going to have to learn to buffet this body 
to understand that I can do all things through Christ, but I'm going to have to do some things. It's not going to just happen. Nothing just happens. This is going to take effort. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's greed. Maybe it's money and budgets. Maybe it's something in your life. Something, and just ask yourself, just nobody needs to know but you and God, Lord, are there things in my life? Maybe it's attitude. Maybe it's a temper. Maybe it's fear. Maybe you're so timid and so shy and so quiet that, that God needs you to come up out of that. You see, God says, I need you to be transformed. I need you first and foremost to offer this body to me and let my spirit bring life to you in a way that you could never have dreamed possible. But I can't do it if you don't give it to me. Number one. Number two. So how do I fight this war? Well, I'm going to have to offer my body. I belong to Jesus. Number two, I'm going to have to set my mind on him. I have to fix my mind because it's about thoughts. Colossians 3, 1 through 3, 3, 1 through 3 says, If then you are raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on things of the earth. For you died, Debbie, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. God says, if you're going to change, you're going to have to fix and focus your mind, your thought life, the realm of your thinking. I can't just go to church and text away and not pay any attention. Oh, I can. It's very easy for me to do that. But you see, something has to stop me. It's called my flesh. My spirit has to say, no, we're not going to do that now. Put it away. We're going to lean in and hear what the Holy Spirit wants to teach us. It takes discipline. This stuff is not rocket science, but it is crucifying the nature, your old nature that wants to rule and reign and do what it wants to do. The biggest fight you're going to have is with your flesh in every arena of life. And God says, listen, I need you guys to understand your thought life is everything because out of the abundance of your heart, you're, you're, you're going to think and that's what you're going to become. First the thought, then the deed. First the thought, then the deed. What you think in your heart is what you're going to have in your life. And God's told me I'm going to have to live by faith. The just shall live by faith. I've got to have the mind of Christ. So, there are no spiritual vacuums. God is saying something. I'm going to have to fill up this mind with something because there's no such thing as a vacuum. I can't just have a blank mind. I know you men have the little blank nothing box. I remember studying that so many years ago, trying to figure Jim out. And I read this book about men and women, and it said that men have a system of thinking and that they compartmentalize things, and they actually can put things in a box. Whereas women have both sides of their brain going all the time. It's like spaghetti, and it's a bit of a mess. And I used to ask my husband, what are you thinking? And he'd say, nothing. Anybody ever had their husband say that to them? And we go, oh, yeah, right, you're thinking nothing, because we don't know what that is, because we got spaghetti. But they have a nothing box. They can actually go to the nothing box and think nothing. It's an amazing thing. It's a mystery to me. But there's no vacuums. Jesus told us this. Can I give you one more thing? Okay, listen to what he said about demons. 
and about thoughts. In Matthew chapter 12, we're going to look at verses 43 and 46. He is talking about demons and the heart, all right? And he says, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places, seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I'll return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept and put in order. And then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. There's no such thing as a vacuum. Something fills something. Paul says that I'm going to have to cast down imaginations that exalt themselves against the word of God. I'm going to have to throw away some thoughts, but I have to fill it with something else, or I'm going to be a mess. Are you with me? You cannot have an undisciplined thought life and be victorious in Jesus Christ. It is impossible. Because Romans 12, 2 and 3 now says, so first it was present our bodies, and it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, be changed into something that's never been. That's what that word means, metamorphosis. Be transformed by the renewing of your, of your, of your, of your, of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God wants me to know his good, perfect, and acceptable will, but I've got to know his thoughts. I've got to change what's in my mind, and I've got to transform it. That means that I'm going to have to learn the word of God. Right now, our kids are having Bible battles, and they're memorizing scripture, and they're memorizing the books of the Bible, and they're building a library inside their spirit. And they're going to remember those words. Even if they were to leave and they were to go off and be the prodigal son, the Holy Spirit will bring them back and the word that they've hid in their heart will come up in them because I know I did. But God says, you're going to have to meditate and know my word. You're going to have to know my thoughts. That means you've got to read your Bible. That means you've got to get alone by yourself. Take the book, whether it's on your iPad or your phone, or whether it's a real Bible, which I would recommend if you can see well enough to read it, and begin to read that word. And when you open the book, talk to God. Ask the Holy Spirit, because he's God the Holy Spirit. He's the third person of the Trinity. He is fused with you. He is your teacher. He is your advocate. He is your standby. He is your counselor. And he will teach you if you ask him what it is saying. And if you don't understand, when you come to church, I guarantee if your heart is real, he will have the pastor, Dan, or whoever's preaching somewhere in that message. It's going to bring a light on on the inside of you, and you're going to get revelation. This is what it means. Why? Because God wants you to be able to prove what is the good 
and the acceptable and the perfect will of God for your life. You don't know who you're going to marry. You don't know where you're going to live. You don't know what you're going to do for a profession. You don't know how you're going to die. You don't know how God's going to use you. You've got to flesh it out. You've got to walk it out. You've got to begin to walk by faith and not by sight. And you begin to believe God and his word begins to get in you. And you change. You are transformed. That's why Paul says, for the weapons of our warfare, they're not fleshly. Sorry. <laughs> they're not natural. But they're mighty through God to the pulling down of every stronghold. Bringing every imagination, every foolish, lying spirit thought that Satan wants to plant inside of your mind. See, when you fill yourself up with God and his word, and you're so full of the word, when the lie comes, the lie has nowhere to land. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 32, verse 31 says, if you abide in my word, and my word lives in you, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You see, it's called a truth attack. Satan will come with a thought attack, but the Holy Spirit will have the truth on the inside of you that you've planted in your soul. And when he whispers in your heart, there's really no eternity. This isn't true. This isn't real. And you want to flounder, and you want to reel, and you want to say, what about this? I just heard that there are aliens coming. The Navy doesn't know if there's aliens in the skies. Do you know what? I don't care. It doesn't matter if there's aliens. It doesn't make God any less God. He's God in heaven and he's God in the earth. He's the creator of heaven and earth. And there are things, many things I don't know or understand. But what I need to know and understand, he's given me his word. And his word transforms my mind so that when the thought attacks come, the truth attack is fighting right back the sword of the spirit and the shield of faith. I gotta stop. Expose the lie and you can defeat the liar. Expose the lie and you can defeat the liar. Believers can yield to alien thoughts and be defeated. Believers can yield to the carnal desires of the flesh and be defeated. Believers can yield to the influence of the world and be defeated. But the battle is in the realm of the mind. And when you fill your heart with what God says, what God is, and what he has for you, then when the enemy comes in, you can cast down those imaginations and throw them away and bring every thought into the obedience of Jesus Christ. That's what happens. Thank you for listening to the Rock Church and World Outreach Center. If this message spoke to you, please share it with us. We'd love to hear from you. You can find more information at www.rockchurch.com.